Hope is not a strategy when it comes to teen mental health, and that is what we're talking about on today's show. Welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 328. I have a wonderful human joining me on the show today who has turned a tragic personal story into a mission to tackle and prevent teen suicide. Elliot Kalin's uh, beautiful sophomore boy threw himself in front of a truck and took his life. Uh, many years ago now, and in his suicide note, he wrote that he would never have told his parents how he felt or taken their help. They were devastated, shocked, and have since learned that thousands of families have had the same experience. None of his friends, family, his coaches, no one knew that this boy was struggling with depression. Elliot Kalen is now the president and founder of a Brighter Day charity, and it was, of course, started in honor of Jake. So they began that charity six years ago, creating resources for teens and parents, ways to connect, uh, and a, a beginning of a work on a mission to stop teen suicide. They've now grown to become a charity that has impacted tens of thousands of families and Thousands are viewing their resources every single month. Uh, They have established support programs, text hotlines, and even offer college scholarships. We all know that teen mental health uh, isn't in a great place. We all know that the last few years and the technologies that have exponentially risen in their use, including video games and overuse, have led to a number of different layers as to how our teens don't often feel like they have the resilience to tackle life's challenges. And uh, I I really feel like uh, it is such a powerful show. It's very conversational. Elliot shares a ton of anecdotal moments, ideas, uh, ways that he and his organization is now supporting parents and teens to open up, to talk, to connect, uh, and also talking about how we don't need to fix all of our teens' problems and how we don't want our teens to feel like they always need to be fixed. So it's it's a really powerful show. Uh, I have only cried in two podcasts that I have recorded, and this is one of them. And I just know it's going to be helpful, um, insightful, and a a compassionate look at this issue. Um, Elliot's very matter-of-fact, almost playful about the subject. Just gets down to business, tells you what works, and and, uh, also talks about how he's kind of known as the guy that a whole bunch of people call if they're ever in a pickle when it comes to their teen's mental health. So having become a reluctant go-to initially, 
Uh, he really uh, had wondered what was going to be his big contribution in life beyond simply having a finance career and boy, did he find it with this. So I hope you enjoy the show, uh, a show which of course I couldn't put on every week without our wonderful sponsors. And uh, now that we are coming to the end of the month, there's a little scarcity at play. And actually for both of the the wonderful show supporters this week, because uh, Oz Climate, who are our major sponsor, as you know, probably if you've listened to the show a few times, or maybe you're new, welcome, by the way. Uh, this is a deal in particular for Australian listeners. Uh, they have a brilliant extra set of discounts on their Winix air purifiers at the moment for the month of April 2023, but they have offered us 10% on top of those with our usual code, LOTOXLIFE, for your extra 10%. Uh, and usually discount codes don't work if something's already discounted, but you will get the benefit of both their current April discount and the Lotox Life 10% discount. So now is the time to buy an air filter. We have compact air filters in our bedrooms, the four-stage HEPA air filters, uh, and we also have their five-stage Mac Daddy air filter with the PEP filter as well. Uh, Shout out to anyone who has a golden retriever out there. Boy, do they shed a lot of stuff. And of course, you know, you might be taking your shoes off at the door, like, you know, good low-tox people, but your dog doesn't have shoes to take off. They bring all that stuff from the park into the house and having an air filter is a great insurance policy if you have an active outdoor pet, uh, as we have found, baptism by fire, my first dog, and uh, and wow. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say on that. So uh, the Winnix Air Purifiers have been a lifesaver for us. And I was talking about this on Instagram the other day. Someone asked me what kinds of filters should you get depending on your situation. Uh, And of course, there are lots of different needs. So if you're urban, you might be more worried about pollution and petrol fumes. Uh, You might be more worried about uh, contaminants in the air like uh, mold if you're in high density living. But then if you're in the country, you might be more worried about agricultural chemicals uh, or the tractor fumes. You might be all worried about your child's dust mite allergy or someone might have asthma in the house. So there are a number of reasons why an air filter is a great insurance policy and the Korean-made Winix range really are incredible and what I like about them as well, someone was asking me a toss-up between a couple of brands, and I've actually got one of of both of them just from having bought the other one years ago, uh, and the aesthetic of the Winix air purifiers, the compactness of them, uh, even the hospital-grade five-stage, uh, makes them actually really lovely to have in the home instead of a bit of an eyesore, which this kind of technology can often be. So that's just like a whole other selling point. Um, but do go check out ozclimate.com.au. Uh, if you're in the market for an air filter, uh, I can't recommend them enough at the absolute minimum to get the four-stage compact units into your bedrooms uh, to keep down those dust mite levels, atmospheric mold, uh, dust. If you're in uh, an urban area, there's always construction going on. It's it's horrifying how much dust can build up. 
and you can actually vacuum out your filter uh, every couple of weeks or every month to keep it running at its best and get the full um, life cycle of your filter. And they've got some pretty cool savings on subscription filter replacements as well. So that's that one. And then, of course, completely unrelated is the wonderful Primal Alternative offer. And this isn't about product or discounts on getting your uh, your flatbreads or baked goods uh, or brownie mix that I collaborated with Primal Alternative on. So you can actually get my brownies uh, in a, in a um, packet uh, ready to go mix that is not anywhere near the disastrous packet mixes uh, that you find in on the supermarket shelves. As an aside, but what I I'm sharing today is the opportunity to learn more about starting a business, a very flexible, you do what you can when you can business. If you are someone who is wanting to get back into work after perhaps the kids have been at school for, uh, or, you know, in daycare, or you've been looking after them as small children, you're finally going to school and you've got a bit more time, but you don't want to commit to a conventional nine to fiver because uh, you'd like that flexibility, the licensing model that is presented by the gorgeous and vivacious and incredibly talented Helen Marshall is brilliant because you basically purchase a license to bake and you bake for your local community. And Helen was sharing with me, we were having a call recently, and she said, I get one or two messages a day from people in all sorts of random places, literally around the world. So this is a global business uh, saying, I really wish there was a primalista. That's what the the bakers are called uh, near me because there isn't one near me. And so I can't get your beautiful products. Uh, And these products, the range is fantastic, allergy friendly, grain free, um, low carb. There are keto options if people are on those healing ketogenic diets. Really fantastic for people who want to scratch cook everything in the healing slash allergy uh, uh, space, but often just find it all too overwhelming. And sometimes you just want to buy a darn flatbread. I get it. <laughs> I do too. So um, Primal Alternative is amazing. And she was saying, you know, every day someone's saying, I don't have a Primalista near me. So it says to me that if this is happening every day in her DMs, then there is way more room for people to get a baking business happening. And, and so I urge you to check it out. It's a fantastic business and she's given you two ways to check it out. If you're a little bit more introverted and you just want to download an ebook and take a look, you can do that. Uh, and then you go to training.primalalternative.com forward slash discovery. But if you just want to hop on a call with Helen, the founder herself, and find out what kind of support you get, how much it costs, uh, what is involved in getting set up and getting started, not much by the way, uh, and the gorgeous community of Primalistas. I always book a Primalista to do my catering if I'm doing events around the country because I know the quality of the food is going to be beautiful and its value is aligned. Uh, and they're just such amazing, lovely people. Every time I feel like I've made a new friend. So it's a beautiful network to plug into. And if you want to get to know what that means, Uh, you can actually jump to primalalternative.com forward slash call and have a free 30-minute call to get clear on what you're looking for and to see if becoming a Primalista is a good fit.
So you could like work for five hours a week, 50 hours a week, somewhere in between. Uh, You could bake for the three health food stores in your area uh, or direct to consumer, drop it off yourself if you're really close or use courier services. And Helen's uh, framework for the licensing model is that everything exists there for you to use as a resource. Uh, So it's not network marketing. You buy the license. You don't then have to try and sell that to someone else. You can just get on with baking and getting out there and supporting people in the community who want that beautiful whole food option, uh, who are on special needs diets, but who don't have the time to do it all from scratch. Check it out. I think it's fabulous. All right, let's uh, talk about this teen mental health thing. I am the parent of a teenager. I feel it. It can be quite uh, concerning, stressful. You can wonder whether you're doing the right thing. And I genuinely felt like after this interview with Elliot, I knew far more clearly what that right thing looked like and what our teens really need. So uh, get ready to be empowered. Maybe it's a pen and paper type thing. Write down those ideas. And I really can't wait to hear what you think of this special interview. Hello, Elliot. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you doing, Alex? I'm fantastic. Thank you. And I want to thank you for joining me today uh, to talk about what I guess at the start, what we're talking about is every parent's worst nightmare. but there's so much goodness to talk about on today's show as well. I am so uh, inspired by the work you do at A Brighter Day Charity, Elliot, and uh, I'm thrilled for us to be tackling a difficult issue that hopefully will then help the many people listening. Um, I'm going to start with your beautiful son, and I'm going to ask you, What's something that you just wish the whole world knew about him? Well, I have a, thank you for having me on, Alex. You know, Jake my uh, took his life at age 19, walked up to the highway, jumped in front of a truck, and and we were frantically looking for him. He was a big-hearted guy. That's what I'd want the world to know. He had a huge, huge heart, very full of compassion, full of life. But there was fighting that demon on the inside of depression. Um, and I know we're going to talk more about that. I've got lots of feelings and opinions on depression. Um, and so he took his life by jumping in front of a truck and no drugs and no alcohol. And we were frantically looking for him. And, and six, at uh, 630 at night, Federal Express showed up with a six-page suicide note. Oh, God. And uh, in it, 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 he rambled in quite a bit of it. And But then it said in the beginning, Mom and Dad, I've been thinking about this for a long time. I never would have asked for your help. I never would have told you how I felt. And I never would have taken your help. And so your question is, what would I like the world to know about Jake? Jake was a wonderful person. Um, you can't tell me he's in a better place. You know, all those things that you say about somebody's <laughs> best. His no. best place is right here next to me. That, that's, that's right. Um but the sad part about that is that although we didn't have many signs, looking back on it, th- there were some signs. And most people as parents, we are just not equipped to see those signs and to deal with them properly. And so that's why for our teens today, it, depression and stress are the most silent of killers. They're the, it's the no, in the U.S., 
it is the second leading cause of death behind accidents. Uh, it's amazing how many people take their lives. And you have a mostly female audience, you were telling me. And I'm going to tell you that boys take their life four to one over girls, mostly because of violence. But the girl suicide, the young lady suicide, is growing exponentially and starting to catch up to boys. So it is an epidemic. Depression is an epidemic. And suicide is an epidemic out there. Mm. And you mentioned there were signs. So when you you read this note, you start to process grief. I mean, I don't even know how. Uh, but you must have just been thinking a million things an hour. If I could have, if I saw, what about that time when, like, what what kind of things race through one's mind when something well, the like first, this happens? The first part of the dealing with death is shock. So we, grief took a little bit longer for that, but we were, we were, my Jake's mother and I were in absolute shock of what just happened. My wife and I, obviously second marriage, um, of what just happened. Um, so the process was before I even thought about the signs where you're numb, you can't think about the signs. You're just in a horrible state of mind. And so we flew up not saying a word to each other. And I just kept, and we had tears in our eyes. I, I kept reading the suicide note over and over. And then we had to claim his body and the human body in a hundred thousand pound truck. Don't go together at all. That was just a horrible experience. I, no parent should see their child like that ever. It's, it's just horrible. And then we flew back and I just, I focused in on that one paragraph that I just told you about. And I, turned to his mom and I said, we have to do something to stop this destruction, this devastation from happening to other families. We have to stop this. We have the power to stop it at some, once we get beyond this, because we're always going to be victims of a suicide, but we don't have to do nothing about it. And she bowed out of that. That wasn't for her. And I get that. Um, and I plugged forward with it and started the charity knowing I, I wanted to make a difference. And I know we'll talk more about that, but it, it's just it, the things we've done are amazing. Um, one of the things that we talk about is looking for signs. Um, and we can even talk about best ways to find the signs. But for my son, who kept this to himself, even his friends didn't know what was going on. His friends apologized to me after his death that they should have known. Um, but the number one sign for him, and withdrawal is a sign, by the way, that is the number one sign that teens have, is they withdraw from social work, from social uh, things going on, from school. My son played ice hockey at the University of Montana. He, parents began, told me after his death, look, he scored two, three, five goals in a game and ended up sitting by himself in a locker room. He's withdrawn from having a good time. Um, then when he came home for that Christmas break, right shortly before he died in January of, of 2015. His sleep pattern was interrupted. Another major sign, eating and sleeping patterns get interrupted. Um, and so he was awake when we were asleep and asleep when we were awake. That was also a way of withdrawing from the family to do that. He had a hard time looking at me in the eyes. Just a very hard time doing that. And I said, Jake, what's going on that you keep turning your head away every time you're looking at me? There's nothing, Dad. And... uh. And then he, he made a comment as I was cooking one day. He said, you know, Dad, 
you know, when I was in high school, I did think about suicide. And I stopped. I just stopped and I said, put the put the knife down, whatever I was doing. And I said, okay, where are you now? He said, no, that was then. I'm in a good place now. Well, he wasn't. He was asking for help. But I said, are you sure? Do you want to get some help? He said, no, I'm I'm fine. I'm beyond that. He was crying for help, but he, he couldn't do it either. He was a proud kid. The one thing he could have done, and I wish we did this, and this is why we implemented this in our charity, we put a 24-7 teen texting crisis line in place that works in all 50 states in the United States. That any, any teen, anywhere, anytime can reach out by just typing the word brighter to 741-741, and in five minutes, they will be talking to a counselor. And they could do that every day, whether they're in school between a break or like my son, which might have used that. He wouldn't have gone to counseling, but at midnight when he was awake and we were asleep, he might have used that. And by the way, uh, Alex, within five minutes of these counseling conversations on texting, the top question every teen asks is, am I the only one feeling this way? Oh, gosh. They're totally isolated. And so if you think about depression for a moment, and it's no different for a senior who's depressed as it is for a teen who's depressed. I think of it as a there are, the room has your room, which is usually some form of color, pastels, maybe some brightness to your life. There are six sides there, including the floor and the ceiling. And for somebody who's depressed, those walls are getting darker and darker. And at some point, Alex, those walls are just all black. And if teen realizes, well, yesterday was awful. Today's even worse. Tomorrow is going to be even worse than that. Why bother? No one's going to miss me anyway. And that's the point of suicide. So it's, uh, and I know you're taking it in. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. I am. There are lots of things that parents can do. There are things that we're doing as a charity. Obviously, the teen has to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you that, you know, you talked about hundred, I would do a hundred things differently. Mm. And I'm, I'm saying a hundred, I don't know if it's a hundred, but um, <laughs> a lot. Yeah. A lot. You know, when I go to the cemetery and I go about every three weeks to the cemetery, the view doesn't change. The conversation doesn't really change. Um, but, and, and I'm, you're not supposed to apologize because you're not the one that took your life. But I do, because I feel like I owe him a gigantic apology, because I believe, because of my father drilling this into my head, who's the Depression era and World War II generation, father said, you have two major goals in your life as a parent. One is to provide for your family, and two is to keep them safe. I've done okay with the providing and gave him plenty of love. That wasn't an issue. But I also believe that as a father... And maybe as a parent, I'm being a little sexist here, but as a parent, keeping them safe means also keeping them safe from themselves. And on that note, I failed. And so that's what I give Jake an apology for, that I should have been that I should have done a better job reading through the lines, asking better questions, digging deeper than I did, and maybe could have gotten him some help before it was too late. And obviously in the work you do now, Elliot, um, you teach parents what those questions are. Uh, yeah, we actually put on a website, Alex, a whole series of, you know, there are hundreds of articles that we have 
original with original content that a writer and myself write. And we talk to parents, we write them for parents. Learn how to ask your kids great questions in a very non-judgmental atmosphere, which will be disarming for them usually because they'll get more comfortable talking to you if you're not trying to fix them all the time. And as a man, as a father, we try to fix everything. We're we're project people. We fix everything. And so, but that doesn't help your kid because it alienates them. And how does it alienate them? What exactly about that is alienating? Well, teens don't necessarily want to be fixed by the parent. They want to be heard. So if you said, I'm not doing well in chemistry, and you turn around and say, well, let's get you a tutor. You're trying to fix that. Now, that's a natural thing to say, isn't it? It could be because their best friend and your daughter or son. Yeah, son. They don't feel good. They've, they're not. They're barely going to class. They've checked out. The issue isn't that they need a t- tutor. The issue is that they withdrew on from chemistry. You're not getting to that point because you're trying to fix math or chemistry or anything else that they're struggling in, but without actually fixing the problem. And that comes from good listening and better questions. And and so, how did the um, I guess the inception of a brighter day charity um, start to take shape? Like, how did you decide what you wanted that help that you wanted to give other families so that this might stop happening? How did you decide what you wanted it to look like? Because you you don't have a mental health background. I mean, do you start surrounding yourselves with health professionals and asking them questions? What did it, what was the nascent of it? Well, that's a great question, Alex. What I first do, what I first did, excuse me, is I, like I do on my job, I did a lot of market research. I began to see what was going on. I saw that there are resources on the internet, but teens never go to the internet and you get them. And I saw that schools really showed very little interest because they weren't being graded or financed for this. So I saw there was a great schism of help. And my first thought was, because he was a little bit of a jock and maybe in my younger days, I was one, or at least in my head, I was one. uh, I thought this could be a great sports program for kids. But through that market research, I realized most kids aren't doing sports anymore, but they all do music. I thought what I'm going to do is let kids be kids with their own music, not my music, not your music, but their music. So we took an original, an unoriginal idea called Battle of the Bands that's been around a long time, teen bands playing for teens. We repackaged it as as a teen band showcase. We put it, lots of cities opened up their community centers to us for free or for a modest cost. And we started to bring in 100, 200, 300, 400, 500 teens into a room at the same time to hear their friends play music. And we gave everybody a blue string backpack filled with resources, which is basically articles on stress and depression, which asked the questions in there. Are you feeling this way? And we listed them. Is your friend feeling this way? And we knew parents would poke their nose in there. So is your child feeling this way? And they weren't throwing these things on the ground and we were trying to get them some solutions. This is where you can go for help. We really didn't have any help to offer like we do today. But we're just trying to get them some help on that. And we thought music would be the best way to do that. And just handing that out. People were very open to the idea of what we did. Schools really have never been open in the U.S. to this. 
But community centers and departments of rec and youth leadership, they have been open to this and chamber of commerces. And you would be surprised by market research, it happened to me, how many people have been touched by depression or suicide? When I first began my research, I thought, okay, I think I'm going to come up with a number about 5% of parents have been touched. And it was almost 50. And I got the local school district where I live to do a survey of the teens, of the seniors, on if they've been have ever thought about depression or suicide. And they thought, and it's an affluent community, six, uh, five high schools, and they thought the answer would be about 10%. And it was close to 50% of all the 17 and 18-year-olds had considered suicide at least once. Wow. It blew everybody away. So we started to do this. And the first four years of doing this, we handed out about 2,000 backpacks. I've got letters on my desk that said, thanks for saving my life or my teen's life. And then COVID hit. And we realized going through COVID, because all of our teens, all of our band showcases were over now, we tried doing it on Zoom. It wasn't as effective on Zoom. We just decided to sink a lot of money and effort into beefing up our social media presence, into creating a team. So that's how we come up with almost eight articles, seven to eight articles a month that are going out to list thousands and thousands of people. They're going out on Facebook. They're touching thousands of people a month. They're going out on Instagram. They're going out on LinkedIn. So we're touching what was 2,000 families or people in the first four years is now 10, 15,000 people a month with resources. And then you, we've added all these other resources because we know that everybody has a different way of being touched. So the, what's on our website is written, a brighterday.info. It's all the writing stuff. Then we have that text line I just told you about. Well, teens are pretty good on text. Parents don't have anything to do with most texting. So we created a live Zoom program with an organization called BetterHelp, where it usually takes six to 10 weeks to get your teen in front of a counselor in the United States. I don't know how it is where you are, but it's six to 10 weeks here. So if, you're, if your teen, if your son comes to you, Alex, and says, mom, I'm thinking about hurting myself. You can't wait 10 weeks to get an appointment. No. And you can't, six is too many, and that's the short end. So we created a Zoom program where they can get help within seven days. And they can be in front of a counselor, now, those cost money. Everything else is free. Those cost $75, $125. So we've decided as a charity that we will pay for the first three months of weekly counseling for your team. And the reason we picked three months is because the backroom organization, BetterHelp, says the average team gets beyond their issue of crisis within three months. And so we wanted to pay for all three months. So no parent would have to decide, do I feed my family, pay the rent or pay the mortgage or get my son to get my daughter to counseling? That's not a decision they have to make. Mm, so, and it shouldn't have to be one. Yeah. And now we're just creating a beta program, kind of a chapter out of AA, where you can go online once a month with a counselor, with myself as the parent, and you can anonymously on Zoom ask any question you want to ask, either through the chat or staying it. And for as long as you want, we will answer your questions. Wow. These resources are incredible, Elliot. And free. Yeah. All free. 
It's amazing. And so how do you fundraise? How does the cash injection happen for you to make this possible? Well, we make money really three ways, none of which is through our programming. So we're out here on June 12th. We have a golf outing. We've been doing that since day one. Uh, my wife and I funded the golf outing the first year. We underwrote it. Now, four years, three years in a row, we're sold out completely. That's the first way. The second way is outright donations on the website. There's a donation button. And we've got an $11 a month subscription, which you can do. And it doesn't cost that much. And anybody can be part of that. And then later in the fall, we'll do a gala. And we'll do a gala, which is now a hybrid gala. We'll be the a live dinner and a Zoom program where anybody from the world can go and, and it's a fundraiser. So we decided to do that. And so that's what we're doing. And this is the first year we just added a car show of sports cars. Uh, and, and we're not making any money really on the car show, but we have four or five booths set up for the $11 a month subscription subscription with a car organization that they expect 20,000 people to be there. And that's coming up at the end of June as well, a Father's Day here in the U.S. Yeah, incredible. Uh, and that's probably only going to exponentially grow as well to allow you to produce more resources. So I want to ask you a question about um, the systemic conditions in under which this kind of crisis emerges. And I have a few thoughts uh, as someone who's recently been diagnosed with ADHD, actually, in my middle age. Um, it's really made me look back in retrospect at the general consensus of uh, adult teachers in my life rolling their eyes or going, Alex, if only you could, or if only you did this, or just this general rolling sense of disappointment that I wasn't achieving my potential. And um, and I think uh, there are so many people, Elliot, as I've spoken about just this little story, um, that have felt that way either in retrospect or kids that are feeling that way now. And it makes me think of then all the standardised testing that's been brought in in the last 30 years where we're squeezing uh, what education should look like into neat little boxes and then teachers are pressured to roll this out and then students are pressured to get everything correct and remember everything and um, and then we're in cities and more nucleus families and less kids all congregating in a park for from morning to night and the holidays. Um, and I'm just, I think of all the layers where we're more disconnected, we're more standardised, therefore there's more othering of people who aren't fitting the mould and therefore don't feel like they're good enough or that they belong. And it really has me thinking that there is a probably a multifaceted consideration of uh, dealing with a crisis like this, um, where it's amazing that you're putting in place the SOSs that help us uh, when, um, in Australia, we say when the shit hits the fan. <laughs> I don't know if you guys say that we, there. We say that here too. <laughs> okay, cool. It's a global thing then. But, you know, we need the shit hits the fan response, but we also need the bigger picture look at why so many people, so many people's walls are going black. You're right. School is a, school is a box and you fit into the box or you don't. I used to say at my uh, children's high school 
they do a great job with the super smart kids. Do a great job with the kids that need a lot of help at the other end of the spectrum. Everybody in the middle is kind of left on their own. And that's not healthy. So we were talking, you know, I mentioned earlier about chemistry or math, you know, which we could argue whether schools should get back to that or not. But if your child is not strong because of any reason in any, in any of these classes, whether it's ADHD or simply they don't get it, they don't understand it, they're going to withdraw because it's easier to do that. Nobody likes failure. Nobody likes being made fun of because you just don't get it. And so now you're creating a social withdrawal situation for your team. And then that begins to cascade and what could become bullying somewhere down the road because your child is now a dummy because they can't, they just don't get algebra and they will. And so they begin to feel like a failure. And you know that from all of your podcasts that self-esteem is just a gigantic issue out there. And it starts with those little things. I, I went to a um, uh, counseling organization back when my kid, my twins were just born. And this was put on by an educational consultant. And he said, look, I want you to know that girls, if you have a daughter, right, begin to check out of math starting in third grade. They just don't understand math. So by the time many of them get to high school, they want nothing to do with math. They love English, and they can't. They just don't. They just don't get math. And that's and so, a generalization because there would be some girls that really do get math, and yeah, okay, hmm. right. But the ones that didn't get it, it's totally you know not true for everybody. But the ones that because that happens plenty with guys too. But the ones that don't get it, if they check out in third grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, they're not going to check back in somewhere along the line. And so that's. And maybe that's ADHD, and I don't know what it is, but not everybody's made to be in great in math or great in chemistry or great in science and so forth. And But the schools don't play to strengths. Mm-hmm. That's it. They, they, oh, they, and they, they certainly don't have the capacity to play to individual strengths. It's kind of like we're still stuck in the fact, let's teach the factory workers to re- reading, writing, and arithmetic for the good factory jobs, but, like, the world's not that anymore. No, but we are, and you're 100% right. Now, as a parent, you can begin to ask those questions and learn that your son or daughter is really struggling in math. And you could, and if it's just the struggle, it's not they've checked out, they need help. You can get in front of it. So my 10-year-old grandson, who's in fifth grade, we've had him in math classes, extra math classes, since third grade. Because he just sometimes doesn't get it. Suddenly now in the middle of fifth grade, I asked him, how, how are you in math? It's now a fun class for him. And I said, so what are you doing? Tell me what you're doing. And then science is now more fun than ever for him. But 24 months ago, we would have had a very different conversation. But it got him the help he needed. You got to, as a parent, don't wait for the school counselor to jump in there. You as a parent, jump in, get your arms around this. We're not all trying to raise Albert Einstein's, but we are trying to raise functional children that become functional teams, teens that become functional and thriving and happy adults. Mm. And and the word functional kind of um, almost feels like 
it's it's focusing on the technical because we were just talking about schoolwork, but functional is much bigger than that. And the resilience piece and the social connection piece, I feel, uh, is something we need to talk about, especially as we see kids come out of this bizarre COVID time where for the huge majority of them, this was not a dangerous disease. And that's something that a lot of people are grappling with and feel quite upset about. But at the same time, there was the protect the elderly, protect the immunocompromised reality of something that no one had experienced before. So I get that it was a really tricky time in both public health and individual uh, navigation of a time like this. Um, But you know, I, I've talked to teachers. I was just sitting next to a third grade teacher on the weekend at a function. It was a gala for my school. We say gala, you say gala. Uh, and um, she was talking about her little third graders and she said they find it so hard to all get into groups and get organized and do work together, discussing things and chatting about a problem and coming up with a group answer to the teacher because, and these were her words, they're COVID kids. Um, So they spent the majority of their um, K1 and 2 in lockdowns and on screens um, with a lot of screen-based learning. Um, have you seen, I mean, I know your your live events were obviously shut down um, for the most part during those years. Have you seen something even bigger now as we come out of those restrictions? You know, it's the same thing, by the way, here in the States. We did, we did a terrible injustice to our youth. And we all know that now. Um, it's just terrible. So, yes. Everybody's dealing with two years of social horrible non-interaction, and it's just it's just what it is. Obviously, the younger kids are affected that much more because they can't put it in perspective. But here's what we had rec- here's what we had happen not too far from my office. <clears throat> we had an eleventh grader who had a four point something grade point average, wanted to go to the Ivy League school, was very excited. And then he wanted to play football for an Ivy League school here in the States. That was his goal. And then the world got shut down on him. And he did not do well in the shutdown. He needed to be there. He needed to be with his friends. Everything got isolated. And his grades just tanked. And then his senior year, football got canceled, which means he had no chance of anybody even looking at him play football. And he needed that. And his grades went down even more, and he was no longer Ivy League material. Mm. He didn't didn't have a plan B. Mm. He went down to the school with a rope, threw it over the football crossbar, and hung himself. That's COVID. (laughs) Sorry. That's awful. Awful. But that's COVID. There are so many stories about this Mm -hmm. happening I'm on a li- I'm on a horrible list that says call Elliot if your child is thinking about suicide or call Elliot if your child has recently taken his life. He's someone you can have coffee with, he's available, he'll talk to you. Either one, maybe he could save your child's life or maybe you don't need to be alone because your because your child took his or her life. And so I get to hear these stories and it's a terrible club. It's a club no one should ever belong to. Um, 
So I, I hear these stories and you don't want to have morbid curiosity about what happened and how they did it. But we're also human beings and you do. Um, people want to share that because they feel they're just, they're, well, they're, we're all horrible slinking along the ground and just trying to pick our lives back up when this happens. And that's the charity is designed to stop this from happening. We want to stop teen suicide. We want to put our text line in every teen's hands in the United States someday. So if you need help, ask for help. We want to be here for you. You don't need to do this alone ever. No, you don't. That's the thing. But because we've been alone or forced to be alone more and more in our culture, and I think COVID sort of just magnified really what was already uh, in place in, in the way that we were interacting. I mean, you know, I've seen for years teens moving towards socialising via video games alone in their respective houses as opposed to hanging out together uh, on bikes, um, you know, and there are still kids hanging out on bikes, but a lot of urban kids uh, are more and more um, disconnected. And and so, like, is it's just such a big problem, isn't it, Elliot? You know, the more I think about it, uh, I always like to try and solve the world's problems. It's just the way my brain is. Um, but the more I think about it, the more I think, oh my gosh, like we can actually trace this back to um, the pressure of rising house costs and therefore people, both parents needing to be in long hour jobs and then, you know, the minimum wage for you guys. God, like when the hell is that going to go up finally? Um, You know, and therefore people are working three jobs instead of hanging out with their kids or organising playdates and I mean, you know, it's big, right? And and the remedies seem to start with a societal shift in terms of doing justice to our kids. You used those words earlier about COVID not doing justice to our kids. I don't think we are as a society at large in a lot of ways. Well, you're right, Alex. You brought up a number of points. Um, let me touch on the social media that you just touched on. Yes, please. If I could, because social media is the enemy of your team. And this cell phone, that's the enemy of your team. Yes, they have to do a book report on the population of New Zealand. Everything they need to know, they'll know in five minutes. I get that. That's the good news about it. What's the bad news about it? Is it, it creates Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and people write on there the, what's happening in their life in a almost like a highlight reel way. And, and everybody seems to be having more fun than me. And that's where the teen, again, they're already tending towards being depressed. And now everybody's having more fun. I remember my teen saying to me at one point when Facebook first came out and they were, everybody's on Facebook, said, you know, because we live, here's Hawaii on the left and here's Lake Tahoe on our right, basically. And it was Christmas break. And the teen, my one of my kids said to me, dad, are we the only family in Lafayette it doesn't go to Hawaii or like Tahoe for Christmas. Because <laughs> that's all they were reading on Facebook at the time. Yeah. Now that Instagram and TikTok for kids. And as a parent, you're like, oh, cue the violins, buddy. Like life is good. But they don't feel that they because were, they're not seeing them there. Mm, and so that's, that's the downside it. of, and we can talk more about how to get away from that. But that's what's, that's the biggest sea change for your team today is social media by far. 
even though it has some upside, it has much more downside on that one. Then, as you were talking about the cost of living, well, I live in California. It is a two-income state. Mm, yeah. It is. And so you're working your tail off and you're coming home at five or maybe earlier because you're picking up and running around. Your spouse is doing the same thing or significant effort is doing that. You're out all day. Sometimes at night you're now running in between practices and you become like a taxi driver and, or certainly on weekends you're a taxi driver for your kids. So what do you want to do as a parent? I got to feed them. I got to get them in the shower. I got to get them to do their homework. And I got to get them to bed. And then after that, I can get some free time for about an hour before I go to bed. So how are you going to get into your kids' lives when you've got these four or five things that you have to get done tonight? And none of them include a long, extended, in-depth conversation with your team. None of them. So there are there are some ways, and I'd love to share those with you. But we the mechanics of what's going on are working against you having a healthy team. It's just are. So here are some ideas for a parent, if I could give those to you. First thing you do, you need to do when you're not driving your team to soccer or cricket or tennis or whatever you're, you're driving them to, is make all dinners cell phone free. Get all the cell phones, put them in a basket in the other room. No calling the older kid, the older child at college. No calling grandma. I know you want to talk to grandma. That's the only time to talk to her is during dinner while we're all together. Sorry. Grandma's going to have to do it after dinner. Right? So this way at dinner, the old-fashioned way before phones or interrupting every part of our, our lives is you have now the opportunity to ask those questions that you and I talked about earlier. The in-depth questions and you can create a non-judgmental atmosphere at dinner because your teens will begin to know that you care and you don't want to just fix the problem. You want to hear the problem first. And that's the first thing you do. If that's not working well, then when you're being a taxi driver, then when you're in the car, take out the earbuds, put the cell phones down and have that same conversation with your teen and just listen. Listen what's going on with their friends. Listen what's going on with their classes their favorite t class, their favorite teacher, their least favorite class, their least favorite teacher, their best friends. How come you and your best friend are still not doing well in math class? Are you showing up? You can ask those questions, but because you're beginning to find out what's going on mm. and they don't have to feel defensive because when they feel defensive, they won't share. Mm. If that still right, doesn't man. work, Alex, then once a week, take a walk with your team, not a hike necessarily, but a walk because we're all programmed that when we walk, we like to talk. Yeah. And use that opportunity in a non-judgmental judgmental way to just ask questions. You don't even have to answer them. You can answer them another time. You can say, can I get back to you with some ideas? Maybe tomorrow. Is that all right with you? Mm. And they felt sure. They feel like you heard them. Yeah. Versus, oh, well, why don't you do this? And why don't you do that? And now you're fixing Mm. And we're wired to fix everything. Yeah. Yeah. Wrong. So annoying. Your mom. Your mom. <laughs> you, change, you change a diaper. He did something. You change a diaper. He mm. fell on fell on his hand. You put a bandaid on it. You did. You fix these things, but certain things you just need to be a good listener at. 
and mm. not fix right away. You will get to them. We do want to fix those things, but just not at that moment. Right. Those are so, the first few things you can do as a parent that can have a huge impact on your team. Mm-hmm. And is it good to say I've seen several times, um, what do you want me to do here? Do you, Are you wanting me to just listen right now or are you also looking for solutions so that it's in their court? Yeah, sure. Why not? You want them to feel like they're part of this process. Like, like nobody wants to feel stupid. Nobody wants to be fixed. We're talking about that word fixed. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants to be corrected. They they want to be part of the process. It needs to be their life. And if you feel like you want to help their life instead of your life in their life, they're going to like that and react a lot better. Yeah. Great advice. And so a lot of um, the time when there's a big problem let's just say your team got suspended or um, they had their first breakup and they're not used to having these big feelings about something actually big happening, Um, which I think can sometimes also be exacerbated by now the online world where we don't have the weight of every action and its consequence as immediately as if it was all happening physically where you have that response and feedback all the time and you modulate. Um, And so sometimes your big feelings only get felt like a little bit later um, or when something really big happens, what would you, what do you advise parents to do when they do have things like this, that it looks like, Oh my gosh, my world has ended. I've done this bad thing or she doesn't love me or he doesn't love me anymore. And, you know, that first heartache, when things are like that, I mean, obviously, yes, we want to listen. Is there any other tips for the really tricky times, those firsts? Well, empathy is a big word here. Yeah. Yes. You know, you have to go through a breakup Mm. and heartache that you're talking about to know what it's like. You just can't tell them what it's this. One day you're going to break up with Mary Lou and you're going to feel really bad. That just won't, won't hit it. Yeah. So if you, <laughs> if you could just create a good atmosphere where they could talk to you and, and you can come up with some empathetic way to share your experience because hopefully you've broken up with somebody in your life too or whatever's happened to you. And you could say, this is how I, my heart felt stabbed or heavy on the whole process. And I... You know, and in two days, it started to get a little bit better. And at five, it was a little bit better than that. And in seven, it was a little better than that. And, you know, let's put one step in front of one foot in front of the other. And let's get through tomorrow. And how about you and I after school tomorrow? Let's just go get some ice cream and talk. You know, that's what I would be doing. Trying to find ways. And also, if they like to do things that you can relate to. So maybe your your teen likes to hike a little bit. And you like to hike. You've done it before as a family. Maybe tomorrow you can do a little hike after school. You know, just to do something that they like to do. And and give them those two hours to just talk. Tell you that, well, Mary Lou, I really cared for her. They start crying a little bit. And then you could share your story. And by the time it's all over, it's a big hug. And they're feeling like, hey, I got through this. And that's a big... Now, school suspension that you just mentioned... Today they suspend for almost any reason. <laughs> anyway. 
<laughs> so when I, and I don't, it's really going to depend on why you're suspended. There are some really dumb reasons to be suspended that we didn't get suspended. You just got detention for it. Uh, now you get suspended for it. My, my mother did something interesting. It was seventh grade. It was the first day of seventh grade. And um, she was a World War II type of person too. And they used to, the boys used to go up to other boys and they'd drive their knee into their thigh and yell Charlie horse. And he would go down on the ground in pain. They did that. And so my this, this boy did this the first day of school and he did it to me and I turned around and I punched him in the face. And this whole thing happened right in front of the teacher. And the teacher grabbed both of us by the collar and said, you guys are both suspended. And he walked us out and they called our parents up and we had to come picked up, get picked up. And all that stuff happened. And my, my mother got already got told what happened. She said, well, what happened? Why don't you tell me in your words what happened? And my father said that too. And so she thought for a moment, she said, you know, you're not allowed to start a fight, but you are allowed to finish it. So I want you to know, I forgive you for what happened. Let's go to school tomorrow and start over. And the relief on that was tremendous. I still remember this day feeling like, oh, wow. And that boy that did that, he and I never had another altercation ever. It just goes... Because he could be, he could bully me. He thought he could bully me, and I didn't take it. Bullies hate that, and he was a bully. And so sometimes you need to find out why, and realize that the things that you did when you were your teen's age, this got you a little slap on a wrist that gets them now into much bigger trouble. And you just need to talk about it because, you know, I I told my kids, look, things I did could have not only gotten me arrested, but I could have died. I don't want you. To don't be, the only the only reason that I didn't get arrested is because in those days the police drove you home and get turned you over to your father, whose job was to discipline you. They, they don't even do that. They don't take a chance on that. And so you need to know what happened and try to empathize. Everybody loves empathy. Everybody yeah. does. Yeah, we need it. Yeah. So the mm -hmm. days of you scolding them or the disciplinarian father coming in and spanking or whacking them with a stick or that's just not going to work anymore. Mm -mm. No, we've definitely evolved beyond that. Um, and there's quite a bit of research on uh, kids experiencing more anxiety today, um, this sense that they're not as resilient as generations before. You know, you hear these, oh, in my day, we used to, you know, catch the bus to school when we were six on our own. And, and these days that would terrify a parent and a child. Um, do you feel like there's work to be done in that space as well, Elliot? Well, we are overprotected parents. Mm. What's the thing that we are? Yeah. I mean, the phrase in the States is helicopter parents. Mm. Yeah, here too. Shuttle them between everything. I don't know if you have that there. Yep, we do. <laughs> yeah. But here's an example, and I tell this to my kids too, I said, my mother, we lived in New Jersey. Um, and so we were big Yankees fans. And so we we were allowed, if I went with one friend, starting in fifth grade, we could take the bus to New York City, the train to Harlem, the train next train underneath the Harlem River to Yankee Stadium, which was about two and a half blocks from Yankee Stadium, and walk with the crowd to Yankee Stadium. And then do the same thing coming home. Right? And my mother's deal was, as long as you stay with the crowd, I'm okay. 
And here's $5 that gets you food, subway, and bus fare. That's all we needed. You would never let your child do that today. You would never take that chance. Even though the streets are probably safer today than when I took them through Harlem, you just wouldn't do it. So we're way more overprotective on doing that. So you still need to let a kid be a kid. That's not necessarily doing what I did at that age, if you're worried about that. But you've got to sometimes just step back and realize they're just a teen. Let them be a teen and then discuss the ground rules with them. So they at least can think it through. Because you and I, when we were young, on a weekend, you went out kind of after breakfast and you showed back home, showed up back home for dinner. And most times your parents barely knew where you were. You would never, you have a 13-year-old, you would never accept that. Just got to set some ground rules. Yeah, I, I'm big on the ground rules. And I think for us, that was actually one of the gifts of, of COVID, living in a small apartment. Uh, we could see that our son needed his freedom. Thankfully, we have a, a club that he um, plays tennis at not too far away, half an hour. And he had a friend who lived just around the corner from the club and they would meet up, play tennis, and then go play in the little nearby forest. Um, and they built things and they did stuff and, you know, we didn't know what those things were or what they talked about or anything. And just that free ranging, you could see how good it was for their soul. You can. And, you know, mm. you're doing the right thing. You're setting ground rules. That is the only good side, I think, of a cell phone. Yeah, is they yeah. Can the phone and call you. When I was a teen, when I was um, 16, my mother got deathly ill. And she was in bed for 18 months. And nobody was sure she's going to live or not. And my dad was just, I didn't see it because most teenagers are self-centered and self-serving. And I, I just didn't see him slowing down. He was about to have a massive heart attack when I went to college. I didn't see it because I'm a teenager. He said to me, he said, look, I'm busy working all day. I'm not going to put a curfew on you. If you go out at night, you need to just call me by 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock. And I need to know what time you're coming home. And if it's, if your grades go down, then you can't go out. You, you're the big boy here. But if your grades are good, you can go out. And we used to hang out at this fast food place called White Castle which had great hamburgers. <laughs> I can see you going down memory lane and, and loving yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> and I had to call, I go to the payphone and I had to call my dad by 11 and he'd say, okay, great. Where are you? And I tell him where we are. And I said, I should be home by one. And he never went to bed. He stayed on the couch or the chair waiting for me till I came home. And then I would wake him up and put him to bed. Mm. But I thought those were the rules. You want to stay out to one in the morning with your friends? You got to call me by 11. They're just rules. Mm. Now we have a cell phone because you don't want your, your teen ever out at, at at one because you know nothing happens good after midnight. Yeah. Nothing. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's true. Times are different there. They are. Uh, and, okay, so I, I want to ask then if a parent is genuinely worried uh, that, that their teen is really not in a good place, um, because we haven't been trained with the right questions to ask and the language, it can kind of almost scare you into just hoping for the best or, you know, I've heard different friends talk about this over the years. What do you think the most important first thing to do is if you are genuinely worried that they are, they are in a very dark place? And let me start by saying 
Alex, that hope is not an action plan. No, it's not. So as I said earlier, you have to learn what's going on in your team's head. And that's going to take some good, honest conversation between you and your team. Try to be non-judgmental, whether it's over dinner or just you and your team. Let Give them the opportunity to share what's really happening in their lives. And then you, you have to learn this as a parent, just like you learned everything else as a parent. You have to learn how to ask good probing questions, maybe even annoying questions. Because teens don't like to talk about themselves. They get all, mom, would you stop it? <laughs> but it's a good thing to do. My mother used to ask the name of my best friends all the time. because She wanted to know that who those people were that I hung around with. And in those days, she would actually call the mothers up, which were mostly stay-at-home moms. And how embarrassing for me. And she'd <laughs> say, hey, I'm Elliot's mother. I just want you to know, here's my phone number. If you ever need to reach out when he's at your house, here it is. And they were appreciative of that. I was mortified. But hmm. looking back at it, wasn't she smart for doing that? Because she knew where I was at any given moment. And and sometimes they were really scared because I was very independent. And they would drive around trying to find me because I was on some basketball court that was being lit up at night and not coming home for dinner. Like, what happened to our son? And they were scared. Um, and it was healthy, but they were scared. And I get it. And you would be too. And I would be. So we just got to have honest conversation at all times with our kids. And again, what's happening in your life and why? How's it going? And much more, how's your day? You know, boys particularly are cavemen when they answer. You know, they answer single with monosyllabic words. How's your day? Things okay? Yep, good. You know nothing. So I have a 29-year-old who is graduating with two PhDs in a few weeks from the University of Wisconsin. And when I talk to him, I have to remind him that I spent a lot of money on his education. <laughs> Please answer me polysyllabically. I've earned that. <laughs> and what does he say to that? I, now he says, okay, dad, my week was very good. <laughs> uh, so satisfying as a parent to, to get that upgrade. For, <laughs> I laugh. I could talk to him for 20 minutes and I know less than before I called him. It's so funny, isn't it? We were at a friend's place recently and uh, sh and my friend has a girl that's in the same class as my son. They share a lot of the same um, core classes, they call them. And I learned more about the school, the teachers, the people in the class in that hour that we were all chatting about school than I had than I had ever learned. And I consider my boy actually quite chatty, but th but she took it to a whole new level. I was like, this is... This is incredible. Um, yeah, yeah. Girls are uh, amazing that way, the way they just have all those details that they always want to share with you. Um, oh, maybe there are some girls who don't. Again, we generalize. But, uh, yes, I think a lot of boy moms would 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 agree uh, with me when, when we say, yeah, good, as the how was your day is usually the first round. I call it the first round because I think you can kind of warm up warm them up and, and get a bit more. Um, and and I, I love that you said when you're doing the taxiing, because I feel like if you're both facing the same direction, there's less of an interview kind of feel and it they actually let their guard down a bit more, taxiing, walking, hiking. Mm. I did hear the other day, one of the families that I was talking to told me that there's a board game available and I don't know what it is, 
that you put it at the dinner table and it comes up with subjects and you just have a conversation and they're all personal subjects and it's designed to stimulate personal conversation. Oh, I love that. And I think there's no shame in recognizing that we need something like that um, if we are going to start doing this work and getting a lot more personal as families. Um, You know, we all end up in this autopilot. It's very easy to do. Uh, and and we can lose that depth if we're not careful. So anything that would stimulate that, I think, is a great idea. Absolutely. Mm. Okay. Well, wow. Uh, I mean, what a what a conversation. What a body of work you have. Is there any intention to take this global, or do the Americans get to keep you to themselves for a while? Oh no, <laughs> I would love to. If you can help me do that, I mm. will. Leave. I would yeah, love to look- Australia. Europe. There are some incredible organizations doing work on the ground. And I think I think it's about um, all connecting and making sure we're making the most of the work that all individuals are doing in this space, because it is a huge problem. And it, it takes people like you with harrowing stories that no one ever wants to, no one would ever choose. Uh, and and turning it into a body of work to help others is is huge and it's not for everybody as you say but you decided it was for you and do you feel like that was part of your healing process I'm sure it is part of the healing process but I have to say which is interesting that it's you know you always wonder why you're here what's my greater purpose in life you know and I'm in the money business it can't be just that's my greater purpose. It just can't be that by itself. And then this came around and I've now thought about it. I said, you know, maybe this has been my purpose. And I hate to think of the why and why it happened, that that's that that was the reason. But in the grand scheme of things, maybe it was designed to save lives. And that's what mm. we're doing. Mm. Yeah, I think a, a friend of mine has a saying uh, that he rejects the everything happens for a reason sentiment. But he loves the you can make meaning from everything that happens. And I really like that that's distinction. A great phrase. Yeah. Can I steal it? Yes, you absolutely may. His name is Jade Teter, T-E-T-A. He's actually an American. Um so, yeah, I really, I, I really think that's a great distinction because we can make meaning and and incredible things can be born out of tragedy. They are every day. And Elliot, you are another person who shows us that. So thank you so much for what you're doing uh, with A Brighter Day. And I encourage everybody to check it out. Um, I love. I was looking at it myself and you don't have to be a musical teen because teens still appreciate the music. And I love that you shared it's either the kids playing the music or the kids appreciating the music. And it's actually that congregating aspect of it that's so powerful. So thank yeah. you for having me on, Alex. It's, Big fan. I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much. Thank you. And that is today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. A reminder, we have so many fantastic shows in our archives these days. If this particular topic was helpful to you, head over to lowtoxlife.com forward slash podcast 
and click on the podcast directory, which gives you food, body, home, mind, and environmental health topics segmented so you can see all the shows that we've done in all of those areas and head straight to what you want. A reminder, we also have 10 fabulous e-courses that I've written with various doctors, naturopaths, health professionals, and experts over the years to support you on your low-tox journey, whether it's making daily swaps, getting ready to make babies, looking after your inflammation, you can hit the courses tab on lowtoxlife.com to explore those. And lastly, I would love to meet you on socials. Go and head over to at lowtoxlife on Instagram or find us on Facebook. It's always such a pleasure to chat and see how you guys are going when you share favorite shows and share them with your friends. I absolutely love that. A little reminder, of course, that all of our shows are not intended as medical advice. They are intended to open the minds and hearts of people and maybe help you explore something you hadn't considered yet, but please always check in with your health professional. And one last little request, if you have time to leave us a review wherever you listen to this podcast, that would just mean the world to me because it helps us get out there and have other people have confidence that that thing they're considering pressing play on is absolutely worth it. I'll catch you for the next show you tune into. Thanks for joining me again. This is Alex Stewart, founder of Lotox Life.